This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Dojo Live. I'm Tulio Suragusa. I'm joined today by my co-host, Kim Lantis. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Hi, Tulio. Thank you. This is the second show today. I have to be careful For about you. saying nice good time. afternoon or good morning. Uh, this morning, I was going to say good morning, but then I realized it was the afternoon on the East Coast, so I can't say good morning or good afternoon in the morning show. But today, for this one, I can say good afternoon because it's truly in the afternoon everywhere that people are watching. So we'll just go with greetings from now on. It's a safe bet. <laughs> Welcome. So let's welcome our guest. We have David Walt from Acclaimant joining us today. It's going to be an interesting conversation. We're really looking forward to it, especially about workplace safety, which has a whole new meaning today because of COVID. But before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit, David. Please tell us a little about you. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So uh, David Walt, co-founder, CEO of Acclaimant. Um, uh, today, based in Chicago, been here for probably almost uh, over a decade at this point in time, but um, currently uh, working from home and quarantining with uh, three little people, four, two, and one, uh, and a nice long-haired dachshund, which makes every day an adventure. Um, but you know, prior to this, uh, I actually have spent uh, my career in kind of technology, both uh, as a management consultant in technology, um, and then also uh, with a team from Groupon, uh, actually in their venture fund, LifeBank. So uh, was a venture capitalist for a number of years first, um, both as an investor and as an entrepreneur in residence, um, and then jumped from uh, uh, helping companies and working with companies to actually uh, being a founder here as well. Um, and the rest was kind of history. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show. We appreciate Thank having you. you here. Speaking of a claimant, tell us a little bit about what gave birth to this idea. What do you guys do? What is the company about? It's the world's weirdest story for a startup. I'll start with that as the, as, as the prequel. We like weird stories. Um, right? Weird, weird is good. Um, so uh, the, the, the headline for us, is we call it an insight-driven workflow solution for safety and risk managers. Uh, in plain English, though, we work really hard to make the people who keep people safe in manufacturing facilities, construction sites, staffing firms, and the people who deal with everything that goes wrong, so the claims managers and the risk managers' lives easier. So we build the solutions to kind of help them have a digital environment to work from soup all the way to nuts, from preventing uh, everyone from getting hurt to dealing with them when they do, working through insurance, regulation, litigation, analytics, understanding, all in kind of one compounded system. So you basically, uh, I, I, I see if I get this right. Are you working also to have OSHA compliance? Is that what you're, because yeah, construction, everything. that's kind of a big deal, right? Right, OSHA compliance, safety regulations, you name it. Uh, and I think what's been really interesting about us, back to the uh, the founding story. So, you know, we, uh, there's three co-founders of this business. Um, one is a longtime friend, the brilliant technologist, Joel Friedman. Um, one, uh, 35-year insurance veteran, uh, Michael Schultz, is also my father-in-law. Um, but uh, he was not my father-in-law when the business started. Um, and so, right? As 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 that well, for us. Well, you go in, you go all the way. I mean, you're right. all in, a hundred percent. So, okay. So let's go right into the topic today. Let's Wait, aren't on. you all about risk management? That wasn't <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I, I never said I shoes. You know. <laughs> yes, I never said I had good uh, decision making abilities. Just just ha happen to do things very well. That's not one of them. All right, all right. 
What's the topic today, Kim? Let's go right into it. This should be sure, fun. Thank you. Nice to meet you, David. So today we're going to be talking about identifying and protecting what's important, mainly discovering how technology is used to help companies empower employees in creating a culture of workplace safety. So I'm really interested to know what that overlap is between traditional work safety and how technology is helping you to enhance that process. Absolutely. And it's it's a great question. And I think it's it's one of the most important things that I've actually found in actually creating safer environments. And so when we started, I, I think one of the things that we found early on was there are companies that want to do well, right? They want to have safe places to work. They want to have employees feel safe. But they lack both the tools to do it, which I think is where we come uh, and fit in. Um, and a lot of them lack the understanding that you can't just say be safer and people become safer, right? It's it's a thing that requires a shift in mindset. And I think one of the interesting kind of ones is a perfect example over time is uh, you mentioned OSHA. So one of the most common things on every construction site for a number of years, manufacturing facilities, if you remember, you were walking on a site, they had a sign that said days since last OSHA recordable incident. And so for the longest time, there was this kind of almost a, an unintentional or an intentional miss, which is you don't want to be the person that takes it from 360 back to one. You don't want to be, you know, the, the, the guy or, or, or the girl who raises their hand and says, I got hurt today back at zero. And everyone's, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe you can. Um, instead, you know, what we're seeing today is kind of shifting that culture around and using all these tools to help people do the things that they themselves can incrementally control and contribute towards making a workplace safer. And so the example now is you shifted from how many days since someone's been hurt to how many situations have been prevented or reported today that could have been problematic and were not and making those incremental improvements in everyone's own daily life that takes you from a situation where you're trying to just say, I hope nothing bad happens, I have an umbrella in case it rains, to we're now making sure everyone everywhere all the time has the tools to help them individually contribute to changing the culture and becoming better, thinking of each individual person as a building block here, as opposed to the thing that's going to knock the bridge down. That's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, you make an interesting point about uh, that metric didn't really say whether the incident that happened was any kind of consequential to someone's life versus. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a common metric. We see it all over in TV. News. Right, but it's TV, like I might have just, you know, uh, hit the nail a little wrong with the hammer and hurt my, my thumb, but it's not going to set me back in my life. It'll, it'll be, it hurts. But yeah. it's going to be okay in a few days versus, you know, I stepped on a nail and it was rusty and I hadn't had a tennis shop in 15 years. That's a problem, right? Or worst yeah. case scenario, there's even worse situations. So right. how does this technology, you said something interesting about being able to make incremental improvements or being able to identify yeah. this happened, but we avoided it to be worse. How do you go about? showing showcasing that how does the technology allow that to happen can, can we yeah. pause just one second i'd like to go back so what i'm understanding is that we're utilizing technology to shift our mindset rather than like Ugh, don't screw up it's like hey everybody's opening their eyes and collectively we're able to be even more preventative because everybody collectively with technology's help is on the lookout for the, the thing that could cause the next oops rather than don't make it. Well, worse. that's the question. That's what we're trying to find out, right? Absolutely. How does it work? Right? 
Did I understand that right? Absolutely. Okay. And, and so I, I, I think, right, and I, I think we kind of think of technology here, and I think I was reading an article today, um, and it might have even been one of the, the guys who was on your show, I think it was IA versus AI, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I, I think his point was spot on, which is, you know, in our view, technology is here to help assist people do their jobs better, be safer and contribute as opposed to trying to find ways to be replacing. Um, and I think how we envision our product and where we fit in is we believe that not every business wants to be a safe business. And so for the people who just, you know, want to pay their claims, pay their OSHA fines, move on, you know, and it kind of is what it is because the guys who run it think it's good enough or you know, they make enough money or they don't care, that's fine. Um, we feel like we're able to help the companies who make the proactive decision to say, I want to be, and we, we call it active risk management, but it basically means people who embrace safety and proactivity as a cultural idea, as a thing that they want to do. When that happens, um, our solution is actually designed to connect the entire field population, the corporate offices, to make sure all of the data collection processes, follow-ups, everything someone needs to be able to do to work through the myriad of ways you can keep people safe, mitigate things that go wrong, and deal with the things that really go wrong um, in one connected solution. And so whether we're talking about, you know, on a mobile device, being able to walk around and document things that are out of compliance or things that are unsafe or reporting things, you know, where a forklift, you know, almost crushed me this morning because we had a blind corner without a mirror on it. And hey, let's go ahead and make sure someone knows about that versus I'm just saying, okay, back to work. So how we think about it is each individual person at a work site has an opportunity to contribute to uh, completing activities that help to make the place safer, cleaning things up, observing behaviors, documenting things that are going right and wrong, and letting people know when there are opportunities for improvement, as well as when things do go wrong, being part of a connected solution that can say, hey, by the way, so-and-so got hurt today. Okay, let's go ahead and make sure that David's following up with the injured employee. Uh, let's make sure that the supervisor is giving them a call after they've gone home from work to make sure that they're feeling okay, they have a way to come back, that nothing is falling through the cracks because we find the trick to safer environments, the trick to having workplaces that are more inclusive isn't so much about doing anything radically different, although there are some great radical ideas out there, but most people don't have the tools, processes, and systems in place to really help them do all of the basic stuff. And I think that's really where we come in is we help make the basic stuff easy, automated, just like that. I love the idea of the tools and the processes in place and the idea of garnering a greater community. So the forklift guy is like, gosh, we really should have a mirror there. But I think traditionally or where we're still trying to close that gap is who do I talk about that? Right. I, it makes me think of the times on um, this very sad cases where how many of us right, have been driving and you're like, gosh, this four way stop really should be a stoplight. Somebody's going to get killed someday. And nobody does anything until somebody gets killed and then a week or two or however many then the city's putting up a stoplight right so it's like yeah. we're sitting here going there really should be a stoplight here there really should be a stoplight here but maybe we don't even know who to reach out to get that stoplight and so you're help creating that network within the company itself and that voice yeah, and encouraging that voice yeah connectivity so David, how does how does it work that's that's brilliant how does it logistically work is it an so, app that that people can uh, well, I don't want to give you the answer. You, you, know, you please tell us how it <laughs> yes, works. Yes, no, great. Uh, no, so um, app, mobile-friendly website, um, and then internet browser-based solution. So connecting all three, so anybody with any device anywhere um, gets access to the acclaimant system, logging in with kind of secure credentials, 
when they pull it up, they have kind of a couple of different roles. But what we'll basically do is we create a digital equivalence of their current processes in our solution. So the idea is that if you are a, a company who says, here's our daily checklist for um, a food facility, or your restaurant says, here's our opening checklist, or your construction site that says, here's how we evaluate forklifts, or here's our um, end of shift uh, checklist, whatever it may be, or here's the procedures you want people to go ahead and work through in the event of a workplace injury or uh, an accident or damage to property. We take all of those things um, and or a combination of our best practices and load them into our system. So let's press the button. It's all right there. It's connected to all of your core back office systems and third-party data sets. So I can go ahead and pull over information about my job site. I can append information about the weather today automatically. And then walk through all the different things that I need to go ahead and do either because it's a best practice, that's a regulation, my company suggests I should do it, all my fingertips, and then we then route information in a workflow solution to the appropriate parties in corporate, in HR or risk with your insurance carrier or your agent. So the idea is we're trying to go ahead and take what is today a relatively ad hoc and disparate process, make it available to anybody at their fingertips on any device, press the button, follow the steps, submit it, task information immediately go out to whoever they have to go to. All the appropriate follow paperwork is assigned um, uh, and created digitally in a system. Your claim can be filed with your carrier at the click of a button. And again, we take, again, what today is multi-step, broken, complex, very difficult, and make it just available on your phone as easy as you're going to open up uh, you know, iTunes or Spotify and just listen. How's it done today? Is it all just written manuals? Or, you know, you have to, how's that being managed today? Yeah, so it, it's What's the so most... Different? Yeah, it's the most amazing thing. And this was one of our, our craziest insights when we started off. And so if you can imagine, I, I came from VC, I came from the venture world. And so, you know, we're doing investing and we're looking at AI, reading insights on social trending that's being used to power hedge funds, like crazy stuff that's like 15 levels of tech deep. And what's really interesting is the deeper we get into this space, the more we realize that it's an incredibly young and incredibly green space across safety and risk management that is still today managed either through a legacy system that was built in 95, 2000, 2005, if you're lucky, but 80% of our customers are still using paper, pencil, Excel, Access, if you're lucky, Dropbox and SharePoint. And these aren't companies like, you know, Bob's Pancakes. These are, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 500, incredibly sophisticated organizations. The problem is, is there's so much nuance and so much complexity and it's such kind of a, a, a hidden club in terms of safety, EHS, and risk that a lot of people haven't tackled it. And so what we kind of found was by taking the approach of building a easy to configure workflow solution, giving people the ability to go ahead and build their tools and their systems and process easily into a system that is representative of the way that safety managers work and risk managers work and the complexities of things like insurance and OSHA and state boards, et cetera. Um, we really took what was a series of very complex problems. And it sounds very simple. The playbook makes a ton of sense. Everyone's done it everywhere. Risk and safety just got forgotten about. And we felt like that wasn't fair. Um, and somebody needed to help look out for them as well. And, you know, that was us. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's mostly a pull system, right? I got it. I get I get in there to use the information, but I think we had a conversation earlier hinting the possibility that I can also push information. How does that come Absolutely. Into play? So we go we go both ways because we think it's important both for people to be able to let a system and their team know when things have happened, and the system to go ahead and make sure everybody's on top of everything they should be aware of as well. And so that happens a couple of different ways. One is we are monitoring information about 
things like insurance claims, things like severe weather and COVID, um, and giving people information into where there are opportunities or problems or alerts that they should know about um, as things are going on. So example being, do you have 15 insurance claims open and all of a sudden one of them has a huge spike in cost? Um, we're going to proactively pull that information from your insurance carrier or TPA and let the risk team know about it. Um, simultaneously, in the event of an incident or accident or even just an open file or even just a general day, we have proactive and automated tasking. Um, we call them smart tasks because we're kind of using logic and AI in the background to go ahead and create alerts and actions for people to you know, know what to do and when to do it as well. So we kind of felt like the combination of being able to enter information in the system, have the system pull information from third parties and also monitor open situations, um, and then let people know automatically when they have things to do, when things are missed, when there's opportunities to go ahead and prove was equally as important. Because to your point, it's only as good as the action you're able to influence people to do, whether it's proactivity in their port, uh, from their point or letting them know how to be proactive in their daily lives. So at what levels of the organization does this proactivity hit? Does it go all the way down to the delivery truck driver having that voice? Like, hey team, I was just on you know, First Avenue and there's been an accident, traffic's backed up, look out. Or the ice is really bad in this area, redirect. Or are we able to talk about that and communicate one another using your application? Absolutely. Um, we find that it, most deployments, and there's kind of this um, uh, interesting dynamic that exists between um, businesses and their employees as it relates to risk. Um, and so I think the very progressive ones have recognized that it's not just management and supervisory um, and then you know director levels who are important here, but everybody. Um, and so they kind of will give full system or I guess reporting access to the entire population, let them know you know, I have 4,000 workers at a plant. I want to know from everybody once a week, what's going on, what's going well, are people seeing things that are unsafe and we're being used in that capacity. Um, I would say about 60% of our users and our customers are still cutting things at the supervisor level. And their rationale is they want the people who are working and kind of actually doing the jobs to be focused on the task at hand and not be it's just sound horrible, distracted by safety, but that the supervisors are the ones who are responsible for walking around and helping people understand this is right, this is wrong, here's how you can kind of be safe. So I, I think there's kind of a business decision people make often, but we can go all the way down to the users and employees and even out to third parties as well. Um, it's kind of limited more by, uh, by the businesses as opposed to by the system. We here at Encora, um, Mexico are a much, we're a self-managed unit. Right. And we really appreciate that uh, transparency and uh, this sort of flat organization design. I'm just curious, and maybe you don't have this data, but have you seen our workplaces that allow that more uh, everybody has access safer than the ones who try to keep it at a more supervisory level? Mm. Great question. And so what I would say is we don't have the data to do it because even inside of organizations, we have units that may be very proactive. I have a plant in Ohio, I have a facility in Toronto or you name it, that is saying, I want everyone there to use it. And I have other ones that are either under a different jurisdiction, part of a JV, et cetera, that won't, won't say it. Um, I can say factually that the number of data points, the amount of follow that people do um, uh, from employee 
employee-inspired or employee-activated safety programs um, are far and away significantly more. It's, it's 10 to 20 times more activity and more follow-up. And I also can factually say that the more proactive points people take and act upon, the significantly uh, redu a equivalent reduction occurs in the amount of things that go wrong. So um, I have I have a couple of data points along the way that I think eventually, if you were to ever step back and get a company who said, I fully want every employee to do, mm -hmm. and I fully want every employee not to, you'd see it. Um, but we don't have the actual hard metrics to share yet, but I'm we're working very hard to get that because but it's it our seems belief. like there's a correlation. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think even from a, a fundamental concept, right, we believe that risk and safety has been this, you know, ivory tower of like, it's the h it's risk, man, it's insurance, you would understand. And I, we feel like it's more important to say risk is everybody's business, right? Safety is everybody's culture. And so you have to have companies that want to be better risks and they want to engage their employees and their populations to get there. And if you do that, um, you can use tools like ours to really help facilitate that process because that's the only real way to make sure people are safe. And I imagine yeah. that there's the correlation too with a safer environment, even impacting other areas of the business like employee loyalty, tenure, um, mm -hmm. and everything else that might be connected to that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting The the same companies uh, who have that attitude are usually those companies that... Uh, uh, tend to create the kind of environment where it's pushed down, everything is pushed down, right? So uh, what I'm hearing is you've found a way to gamify safety by, Effectively. by you know, I kept thinking like what Waze did when they came out, right? They got all the drivers to contribute different uh, situations on the road. Uh, there's an accident, there's a hazard. I mean, and people were basically contributing enough of that that they could create an environment where you you got uh, insights that all the other uh, GPS services didn't provide. And they essentially gamified uh, people reporting problems on the road. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me that if you want to create a culture of safety in, a, in an organization, you have to find a way to gamify that. And it sounds that's what you guys are doing. Um, so <clears throat> culture makes a lot of sense. We've had a talk. Sorry for the interruption, but there was a previous guest a while back that was talking about the need for play in the workplace or play in life in general, right? We, right. we, we right. think that, that as adults we no longer need to play. But, but I was gonna say that the, the people who think that you can't get everyone involved to participate are also the same people who didn't think you could do you could be effective working remote and look at what's happening for the past eight months. Many mm -hmm. of those companies and many of those leaders have learned how wrong they were that <laughs> mindset oh yeah, uh, yeah which is, because when you empower really people to, to, when you empower people they step up and get it done so so what's the hurdle for you guys how in terms of getting more for remote what yeah sorry we kind of asked two questions at once i was wondering how a claimant has had to adjust or how you're learning to adjust with more remote workplaces or what is that the new horizon for you um, so I'll, I'll hit that one and then I'll hit the other one if that, if that works real quick. So what's been interesting for us on the remote side was we've, we've been remote since we were founded. Um, so we were remote us based. Um, and it was hilarious because for years, um, every venture capitalist we talked to, every customer talked to said, are you sure you want to be remote? Can you, can you handle that? Can you survive like that? And, you know, we, we, we've grown the team over, over time. We kind of built all the process. We kind of have it down. It's just now a thing we can, you know, onboard people. Have people in all different locations. We're on Zoom and Slack, um, 
and we can then be able to really, you know, uh, it's worked for us. And so for years, everybody questioned. And then as soon as this happened, everybody looked back at us and said, whoa, how do you guys do that? That's great. And now everyone's saying, we're doing it too. Um, this is great. This is awesome. So I think for us, remote has actually been no change. We were, you know, in half the team was in an office twice a week. Um, and uh, now they're just not. Uh, and there's been no real change. From a customer perspective, what's been super interesting in our universe is that um, what's happened with this kind of move to remote has been a bunch of manual processes that typically existed in safety and risk management have um, have now broken. So when you are used to having people whose job it is to go to different sites, to fill out a clipboard, to fax something over and scan it, when you ask those people then go ahead and stay at home and they can't get to where they got to, they now need a better way to communicate and connect and collaborate with the field and corporate and their broker and the carriers and the TPAs and the risk staff that they work with. And that's forced an incredibly aggressive adoption of technologies like ours, where all of a sudden people are like, oh my God, all my files are at my desk. I used to just walk next door and hand it over. And now I need a system to do it. So we're seeing the move to remote has actually caused a need for all processes to become digital or at least much more digital. And that's been just a phenomenal, phenomenal tailwind for us. How has COVID also changed the landscape of workplace safety? I mean, that takes a whole new meaning, oh right? Workplace safety isn't just about some, you know, falling off the stairs, a uh, ladder or what have you. Now it becomes more trying to avoid a virus. Uh, how has that introduced new complexities for you guys and how have you guys handled that? Absolutely. Great question. And I think what's, what's really interesting here, we always think it's um, the duration of what safety means, I think has changed. Um, and um, what's really interesting is we kind of step back and look at it as, you know, historically, when you're talking about observing behavior or checking tires on a truck, um, uh, we're thinking about, you know, okay, if I do this wrong and if things break, I might something go wrong in a day or a week, or if I see it wrong a hundred times, something bad could happen, but you're not seeing like a type of uh, type of requirement. Here, what's interesting is with infectious diseases that are airborne at the workplace, lack of quick response, lack of quick behavior can take a two week, three week type resolution timeframe and force it to be hours or minutes. I have an exposure to the workplace. If I don't clean it up, send people home, get everyone out of facility. You know, we've all seen what's happened with, you know, the, the plants in the middle of the country, all these things that have been shut down because you have massive outbreaks. And unfortunately, if there's enough people who get it, someone's going to die, which is a crazy, crazy chasm to cross and saying in eight months, safety went from three week cycles to three minute cycles. Um, and having to find ways to support that has been very interesting. And so for us, because we've kind of been an electronic medium, because we have instantaneous alerting, we've always been trying to push safety to that limit of saying, why can't safety be real time? Why can't it be a thing? So the biggest changes for us have actually been more around configuring our solution to help accommodate now new types of things that can go wrong. Someone was sick, a guest was exposed. There was a, you know, a new requirement for different kinds of regulations from the CDC or states that have now been incorporated back into our solution. Um, and so what then is a little bit of retooling as opposed to rebuilding. Um, but I think it was funny. We, we were felt like for a while, we were kind of a Ferrari, um, you know, trying to help kids get to school. Um, and now everyone's like, I need a Ferrari too. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been kind of a, a very nice windfall for us. Cool. Well, we're coming up on time. Kim, I know, I think you have uh, one more question. 
yeah, thank you. It's been, really, it's been really fun talking with you today, David. Yeah. Learned a lot. Uh, I can really see the passion for what you do. Um, what we what we hear again and again about entrepreneurs, right? What you need to do is find a need, uh, and what that's exactly what you did. And not only did you find a need, but one that's important to you and to everyone ultimately. Uh, so what would be kind of your words of wisdom and your learning experience over these last couple of years for people like you um, who are wanting uh, to create something? What, what's worked, what hasn't? What would you say to those folks? Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple of things that um, uh, I think are, are probably the biggest, the biggest key takeaways. And I think that there's kind of two, two different things I always tell people. One of them is, there's nothing magical about starting a business. Um, everybody likes to put, you know, entrepreneurship on a pedestal and say, oh my God, it's so hard to do. I could never. And the reality is it's not. Um, it, it, anybody can decide to start a business tomorrow. You walk out with a sign and start selling something and that's it. Um, and so I think a lot of people are too afraid to jump and they think if I jump, I'll be in the ether forever. I'll never be able to pay my bills and I think people overemphasize how much risk is involved. That said, it's not easy, right? You take all of a sudden everything on yourself and it becomes just a slog. Um, there's nobody to get coffee. There's nobody to do your paperwork. There's no one to do your taxes. Um, and so you really, if you want to do it, you shouldn't be afraid of it. We all should make sure you're kind of up for the workload. Um, and the second thing that I always say as well, I think is um, nobody really knows what you know and everybody will pretend that they do. And so early on for years, everybody told us, I do that. There's not a business here. Why are you pushing? And we were just convinced that we were right. Um, and so I think the most important thing is to figure out what you believe in and why and push and push and push. And people will tell you you're wrong and people will tell you it doesn't make sense. And people tell you it's not there. Um, but as long as you're kind of true in your beliefs and you kind of know where you're headed, just keep going because either you get there or you won't, but you will definitely not get there if someone talks you off the path. And on that note, I will share something pretty embarrassing. In 1991, 1992, I was in New York City at a, with some friends uh, and walk-in, uh, Sergey Brin <laughs> and his co-founder. Uh, and we're talking about Google. And I laughed in their face because I thought it was the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and at the time, I could have invested a little bit and made lots and lots of money from that investment. So the last laugh is on those guys who believe in themselves, who get it done in despite of people like me who said, that sounds like a ridiculous idea. So congratulations for <laughs> sticking you. with it because you'll have the last laugh. Uh, so anyway, thanks for joining us. Stay with us as of we uh, go off the air. Thank you for being with us. Uh, I'd like to encourage everyone to come back. Uh, next Monday for the recap show, we don't have a show next uh, tomorrow. The, the, uh, our guests have to make a change. So we will be back Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific for the recap show. We did still manage to have three shows this week. We had one yesterday and two today. So we'll have plenty to recap. I encourage you to come back and you'll hear the lineup for next week on Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Thanks for joining us. Have Thank a safe you. rest of your week and weekend. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.